welcome to church. Welcome to week four of Level Up. And uh, I want to just um, give you guys a round of applause. You can give yourselves a pat on the back. Like You guys have just been so incredible. Throughout this series, it's been great to hear stories of uh, just how people are putting things into practice. We talked... Uh, we've talked about outreach temperature, and we've talked about prayer, and we've talked about invitation, not only activity of inviting people to experience and encounter the community of the church, but having an attitude, a posture of invitation. One lady said to me this morning, I've realized that in my book club, people don't welcome Jesus. They don't believe in him. He's not welcome in their lives, but I am. And I was like, yes. This series was worth it for you alone. Do you see, like, she's got people around who don't believe in Jesus. And she's welcome in their lives. And she doesn't have to add a single minute of activity to her life to be involved and make a difference in the lives of people who are far from God. And I want us to understand this. I want us to get this. Today, we want to finish off the series with boldness. And I realize that this is the sort of word that has the introverts among us, like me, running for the hills. And, and like, hold up, we, we've talked in this series about, about natural and organic ways that we can engage with people far from God. And now you're going to talk about boldness, like you've sneaked it in on the end by surprise. But, but I want you to know, I, I, we're going to present boldness today with a twist. Okay, because when we talk about evangelism, I think too often we go for, well, an evangelist is an extrovert. And they're like larger than life. You just can't shut them up. They're bold and brash. And, 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 and I think if that is our definition of evangelism, most of us are discounted there. And surely that cannot be. You know, a t-shirt. You can wear a t-shirt that is a bold color. You can... You can experience a a, a plate of food that has bold flavors and yet neither make a sound. And I want you to see that at its very core, its very foundation, evangelism and outreach uh, don't have to be bold and extroverted and things like that. This is just sharing the story of what God has done. Sharing the story uh, of the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's something that each and every one of us can aspire to. Each and every one of us can be can take part in because it's not about personality, but about an attitude. About an attitude of having a God-empowered inner courage to speak and act in a way that's distinctive. In Matthew 5, Jesus lays out, he reels off some characteristics that you might expect to find in followers of Jesus. And he begins to talk about the kingdom of God as in a way that turns his culture and our culture on its head. He talks about blessed are the meek and blessed are the poor in spirit and all of that. And out of that, he shares two powerful, profound pictures that you and I can definitely grab a hold of. And I want you to see that I think what he's describing is um, as characters of, characteristics of followers of Jesus. I want you to see that I think the characteristics that he's describing are just as bold as any word you could ever speak. So when you turn with me to Matthew 5, verse 13, we've got it up on the screens as well. And we're going to read from verse 13 together. Ready? Come on, we're awake. We're more awake than that. Are we ready? We're ready. This is the Word of God. It's powerful. It's life-changing. It's amazing. And we're just going to eat of it this morning. Ready? Let's go. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Would you pray with me really quickly? God, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that among us, within us right now, is the presence of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Spirit of God, would you bring these words to light today? Would you bring them to life in us today? We want to live differently, speak differently, think differently because of the challenge of your word that we as a church, God might make a difference in our society and in our communities, that more people might come to know you. We want to take the way we do outreach to the next level. So we want to level up in boldness today and we pray, God, would you speak to us where we're at today and encourage and and inspire us onwards and upwards, we pray in Jesus' name. Give me a big amen. So great. So great. I'm not going to let you keep quiet today. Come on. We're going to stay attentive. Okay. Week four of Level Up. This is so good. I I realized that there was a big danger, right? Because we're going to talk about salt right now. And that inevitably means we're going to talk about food. And you guys are great, but I know whenever I use a metaphor, whenever I use a picture of around food, often people take notes because they want, they want to learn how to make a steak better. They want to know how to do cooked breakfasts well. People have walked out of my messages and gone and bought great sausages for a cooked breakfast before. It, I love that about you guys, but I want you to go away with a different thing. Yeah, round of applause, church, for buying great sausages. Pre-cooked are not good. Okay. But I want you to switch on and stay attentive to what we're talking about, okay? Stop writing down recipe ideas, okay? And and, and tune in. We're talking about salt, and I don't know if any of you cook. I assume you do. Uh, Certainly, I hope you eat. And I don't know if you've ever, when you're cooking, tried to sneak an ingredient in that somebody doesn't like. You know, my mum used to put coriander in increasing amounts in our food when I was younger because my dad didn't like it. And just little by little, build it up so his taste buds change. And it worked. He loves curries, loves, loves coriander. Now, my uh, daughter, Gracie, has a banana radar. She can sense banana in things from like 100 paces. Like We've not measured it, but we think it's probably more than that, and it's safe to say 100 paces. But you know, when you, when you sneak an ingredient in, often that ingredient will change the dish. It, maybe it changes the way it looks. You put paprika in, it's going to make it look red. You put turmeric in, turmeric for you guys, it makes it look yellow. You put cumin in a dish, it fills the whole house and the surrounding area with the smell, fragrance of cumin. You put... Um, an ingredient like, if somebody doesn't like basil, it, it leaves a trace, okay, of dark green leaves. Somebody with an aversion to green in their food is going to bulk at that because it looks different. But salt is different. Salt is like the SAS of condiments. It, you, you, it's like the silent assassin. You, you, you mix it into a dish and it disappears, it leaves no trace of color. It doesn't smell. In fact, if it's done properly, a dish shouldn't even taste of salt. But here's the thing. It's a significant ingredient. Because it's been used for centuries to be put into meat so that it's preserved, so it doesn't go off. You, you stir it into a dish and you can't taste it, but it enhances the flavor of every single other ingredient. 
And Jesus turns around to his disciples. He turns around to his followers. And he says, you guys and Jesus' followers everywhere, you are the salt of the earth. Earth here doesn't just doesn't mean like the grains of earth. I think it has to do with um, and places you go, boundaries of land. It, it, it was a word used to describe not only the places where you are, but the places you travel to. And I think what Jesus is trying to say here is that you guys are the salt of the earth. We as the church are the salt of the earth. That wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves, wherever we travel to, we are to be salt. That as we live according to the ways of God and we speak out the truth of God and we think with an attitude of God that we would preserve a way of life. But it also that as we do that, as we act in a way that is distinctive, as we, as we are mixed in among culture and live in a certain way and speak in a certain way and think in a certain way, that we would enhance people's flavor, people's taste, people's experience of life. You might think, it doesn't sound very bold. But actually, it doesn't take too much of an imagination to imagine circumstances where actually to stand up and to speak out and to be different and maybe to walk away from a situation or maybe to stand up and say something that is a little bit controversial and a little bit distinctive to ask a question that helps people to think differently about a situation. It doesn't take too, many, too much of an imagination to imagine a moment where that is actually a ridiculously bold step to take. Jesus says, I want you to be the salt of the earth. I want you to preserve my ways. And I want you, as you do that, to enhance somebody's taste of life. And I think it's something that's actually far easier to do with strangers than it actually can be with our friends and our family and those closest to us. But I think this is a way, a boldness, and sometimes a quiet boldness that God is inviting us to live in. The second metaphor Jesus uses is light. He says, you guys, he says, I am the light of the world in, in, in some areas, some places, some occasions. And that's, a, and that's a word, that's a term we're happy with about Jesus. Yet, Jesus, you're the light of the world. But then he turns to his followers and he turns to you and I today and he says, you guys, every single one of you is the light of the world. And he divides this in two pictures. He says, Not a, you, you're a city on a hill. You know, a city is built on a hill so that you can watch for, for, for potential invaders. You can look in every direction for miles around and see of any potential threat coming your way. But also, he says, not only is it, 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 does a city on a hill see everything around, but inevitably, everyone in the surrounding area can see the city. And then he says, not only is it like a city on a hill, but it's like putting a lamp on a stand. It's like when you have a lamp, you don't put it under a chair because it, will have, it won't be effective there. You don't hide it away. You don't put it under a bowl. You put it on its stand. And I find that a really interesting thing for Jesus to say. When you light a lamp, you put it on its stand. Its stand. The stand belongs to the lamp. It's where the lamp is supposed to be. It's supposed to not be hidden away, but to be put somewhere that is obvious so that it sheds light. On the surrounding area, it gives light for everyone in the room. And I think what Jesus is saying here is intentionally put your faith where it is supposed to be. 
on display for everyone to see. And so that by it, everyone else can also see. So when you live your life following Jesus, you'll do things that are different. You'll do things that are distinctive. But as you do that, it's like you're putting your faith where it is supposed to be. And not only will people see it, but maybe they will see for themselves a way to live and a way to speak and a way to think that is life-giving and nourishing and attractive. Jesus goes on from there and he doesn't just say that. He tells us how to put your faith on display. How to put your belief in God where everyone can see it. He says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Actions that are so distinctive that they point beyond this world to point to God. And this is two words that come together in Jesus' ministry, but they also come together in the pastoral letters. Letters like 1 and 2 Timothy, letters like Titus, letters that Paul wrote to to people that he was mentoring, that he was bringing up in the faith, that he was wanting to know what is most important. And so I find it really interesting that Paul uses this term, I think more than any other, bringing good and deeds together. It's like he's saying one of the core things that you need to understand about following Jesus is that we would be people who do, are known for good deeds. And, and I've sort of been through those passages and pulled them together and, 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 in terms of how Paul describes good deeds. And he says, good deeds are obvious. They are excellent and they are profitable for anyone. They're useful not only in everyday circumstances, but when, things, when there are urgent needs, when people really need something, good deeds are something that you can use to serve them. And he says it's good when people are known for good deeds, when they come out of generosity, when they come out of a willingness to share. I think good deeds are those practical things we do to show people that they are important and they are valuable, not only to God, but to us. It's a way of living not only among people, but living in a way that is distinctive. You know, and I've... If you want to know the greatest moment for me of this year, with all due respect to our services, it's not our services. With all due respect to all the other things that go on in and around the church. You know, the, the moment this year I felt most alive is when I got to do a cat money course for Wellington City Housing among some of their tenants. I came out of their sessions not really being able to mention God or my faith to, to any great extent, not being able to preach the gospel. But I was able to stand in that environment and say, I'm a pastor from the Street City Church. And we love people. And you're so valuable to us. You're so valuable simply because you are a person. And it is a privilege for us to be able to serve you. You see, good deeds ascribe a value to somebody. You say, it's worth me going out of my comfort zone and out of my way to serve you in a way that dignifies you as a person that God has created. And what I want to do right now is to pull those two things together. If you were in church in September, you'll have heard a guy called Paul Windsor preach. Paul and Barbie are are missionaries um, in India right now. And uh, we have the privilege as a church in supporting them. Paul trains pastors and teachers to preach the word throughout Asia. And um, when he preached here, he he preached on 1 1 Peter 2. And at the end, he pulled together a diagram. And I want you to to read this verse. And then I want to show you what this looks like in bringing salt and light together. Peter, in, 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 in writing to, to Christians scattered, says, I want you to live such 
good lives among the pagans. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, notice how he ties up with what Jesus preaches here, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see, what Peter's saying here is, live such good lives. And we go, well, I expect that from the Bible. Obviously, I'm going to be distinctive. Obviously, I'm going to live differently. But notice the word that comes after that. Live such good lives among, not far off, not just within the four walls of this church, not just among your life group, not just at home, among your family. Live such good lives among the pagans, among people far from God, in the communities and on the streets and in the workplaces and in the schools and in anywhere you find people in this city. Live such good lives there. Be distinctive, but be salt. Be stirred in. Be among. And so this diagram on the next page, it's not mine, it's Paul Windsor's. I did this one, though. I did put this together. Incredible, hey? Um, just one of my skills. But what this is Paul Windsor's example of bringing salt and light together. And I think it's really powerful. It's a tool that I've used in, in, in helping people understand their place in outreach. And, um, and so I wanted to share it with you this morning. And the higher up, you can plot yourself anywhere here. I didn't put anything in the bottom left because I think if we're there, we've got to move very quickly. But the higher up you go, the more salt-like you are, the more mixed into the dish you are, the more among you are. And the further to the right you go, the more distinct you are, the more light you are like. And if you're at place A, what you're saying is, There is no shortage of people far from God in my life. I've got countless colleagues. I know and I spend time with my neighbors. I play rugby for a team and I hang out with those guys all the time. Like the lady this morning, I've got a book club, for example. I I lose count of the number of people far from God that I spend time with. But maybe in those environments, you're, you're lamenting the fact that you are not so distinctive. And you know what? That can be an area of, uh, of sin. It can be that, that you just live too much like people far from God and you speak like them and you, you follow the patterns of that way. But also it can just be the fact that you have friends who are far from God, but you never have a spiritual conversation. God never comes up. You know, week one of Level Up, I shared a story about share, being able to, 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 to share a story of healing with a friend of mine. But that conversation came out of me looking at this diagram and going, in that friendship... There's no spiritual conversation. I'm at point A there. God, would you move it? Would you move it to C? Would you open up an opportunity where I can be more distinctive, where I can share about you? And God did it. It was awesome. If you're B, what we're saying is that you're, you are light. Like you just look like Jesus in the way you serve the people around you. You're so hospitable. You're full of good deeds. You're incredible. But actually, everything you do happens within the four walls of the church and and, and at home and among your life group and among believers. And you need to take those things that are incredible and put them into into the communities and the friendships and the families that are far from God, that they may see those good deeds and that it would point beyond this world and it would point to God. And maybe having received that blessing, they'd want to hear your stories They'd want to answer your questions. They'd want to find out about the Jesus that you serve. You know, what is it today for you? Are there areas of your life that are point A? And you say, I want to be more distinctive. Are there places where you'll be and you want to be more among? What needs to change for you today?
You know, this is a challenge that not only represents us as individuals, but represents us as a church. We want to grow in the culture of worship here. We want to worship God incredibly and powerfully. We want to grow in the ministry of the Word and the way we preach it and the way we align our lives to it and live out of it. We want to grow in small group. We want to grow in families ministry. We want to grow in great kids programs. We want to do all of these things. But if we just grew like that, we'd be more and more light. And we want to be among as well. We want to do that. But we also want to do that among the, among this city. And so, you know, things like mainly music that we, we, we had, um, Caroline Wound. Every time I say mainly music, I like point to the small auditorium because that's where it goes on. It's a bit of a weird thing for me. Don't worry about it. But it's like a compass. Anyway, but Caroline Wound shared last week about it. It was awesome. That's an example of us being light, being distinctive, but wanting to invite the city into that. You know, having a debt center is about serving people in our city who are far from God, some of them know God, but who are struggling in unmanageable debt right now. And we want to take the light into the community. We want to take the light, take the truth of God into our city. And one of the other ways we've begun to do that is through life schools. There are other areas, too many for me to count right now and say right now, but one of the other ways is Rahel Williams came to me earlier in the year. She said, I'm thinking about life skills. This is a new product that Christians Against Poverty have. They've tried it in the UK, and um, they wanted to run a pilot here uh, for the first time in New Zealand. And Rahel Williams has been running that for us, um, and it's just been incredible. And so I thought, wouldn't it be great for her to come and share the story of that this morning? So why don't you welcome Rahel Williams. Sorry, it'd be unfair to make you shout, you know. Hi. So great. Right. So I'll tell you a little bit about it. So the way I thought I would do that is, if you know Jesus, just think about the way he's changed your life. How do you live differently because you know him? How do you make decisions because you know him? And how have your values changed because you know him? And for me... I can say that he's helped me make good decisions. He's mm. given me wisdom. He's given me love to love others around me. Right. He's, he's changed my life. He's given me hope and peace mm. and freedom, all those things. And also I want you to think about what it's like to be part of this community. We're so blessed to have each other and to yeah. do life together, to learn from each other and to support each other. Mm. And I've realized this thousands of people in our city that don't know what that's like yeah and so life skills is like all those things wrapped up and we've taken them into our community and the people i meet they really responded to that they may not be able to put it into words but they loved they loved coming yeah (laughs) and they loved um being part of something one lady said it makes me feel like i'm part of something important wow and she said that when you stop, it's going to leave a massive hole in my life. Yeah. And I've just been so blessed to do this. Yeah, great. So tell us a and bit about the course. True. That's what you asked no, me. No, no. Great. <laughs> great story. Love it. Right. Okay. So it's an eight-week course. And I really wanted to take it out into the community. As I said, not run it here. I wanted yeah. to go where people hang out already. And so we've spoken to the council and they gave us the Strathmore Community Centre for free to use. And that was such a blessing to us. And so we had about 10 to 12 people each week that came. 
and we brought food and we hung out with them and we talked about just things like how to decide between need and want and how to be content with what we have. We shared recipes and money-saving tips and I cooked with them one week and we talked about healthy relationships, forgiveness, loving others and healthy diet, exercise, all that. Yeah, great. And just share, like, what was, the, what was your favourite moment? Well, um, I'll start with what wasn't my favourite moment. In the <laughs> <laughs> so just before the third session... I was told that we weren't allowed to share our faith or talk about God within the group setting because the council had given us all for free and they can't support any religious. Yeah. So then I was a little bit like, oh, how am I going to do this? And the favorite part was that God each week gave me ideas on how to still love people and share the truth yeah. without really speaking about God openly. And so in week six, one part was about self-worth. And I was meant to say that it doesn't matter what people say about you or think about you or what you think about yourself, only what God matters, um, God says really matters. And so I feel like God gave me this really awesome idea. Can we put it up? Yeah. Maybe? I, I have no power. Uh, but I reckon it's going to come up. There's a slide. Okay. So... I had a big piece of paper and I drew a face on it and I drew, I wrote those negative words right across the face during the session and I asked people to imagine what would my life be like if I believed those words to be true? How would I live? How would I treat people? How would I make decisions if I believed all those words or some of them were actually true? And as I was doing that, people really responded. Some started crying. Some started telling me stories about those words and how true they were in their lives. It was really powerful. And so then I got one of our support workers, Ruth, to read out this story, You Are Special by Max Lucado. I hope you know it, but it's about a woodcarver, and he, created, he made these wooden people. And it's all about that he loves them and he wants them to know him. And I didn't speak about God, I said about Eli and how he loves them. And as Ruth read the story, I put the colorful papers over the top and I explained that the negative words are like a filter and you see everything through that. You can't see clearly, you can't hear clearly when you believe that is true. And I said, those are all lies and I want you to know the truth. And I put the truth over the top. I can hope you can read it. And afterwards I said, we really want you to know what it's like to be, to have joy and to be loved, to be forgiven, mm. to have purpose. And I offered prayer outside the setting of the group yeah. every time. Yeah. You said to me it was like the moment God showed up. Definitely. You know? It was really powerful. And I got to... One lady, she started crying, and I got to hug her and say, those are all lies, and good, you're loved, and, yeah. and you're precious. So great. It was so great. Yeah, and we had people from that course come to the Cap Christmas dinner here, um, and things like that, and there's a community there now. You know, there's a group. Do you want, do you want to yeah. share about that? Yeah, they don't want to stop meeting. <laughs> yeah. 
And one lady, she said, this is really special. I love coming to this group. Yeah. And it, yeah. yeah. I think they're just responding to this unconditional love that Amazing. they felt. Amazing. So good. Hey, let's give Rahel a round of applause. That was just... yeah. Rahel's an absolute star. Like, two or three years ago, three and a half years ago, really, Rahel was so nervous and timid and all of that and, and, and um, said, I think God wants me to be a debt coach for the debt center. And she's worked faithfully in that and laid that down to say, God, what is next? And so that's where we brought Matt Poynton on as a debt coach. And, and just every moment that Rahel has gone, okay, God, I don't have this, but I'll do what I believe you're calling me to do. Like, Rahel's just grown up as a leader right in front of our eyes. And to watch, like that, you know, that I would never have done the course the way she has done it. I'd have never come up with the ideas that God gave her to share the gospel without sharing the gospel, you know, and, and to have God show up. It wasn't here in the church building. It was in Strathmore Community Center, and God shows up. But do you realize the power and the privilege of that? You and I come in, if, if, you, if you're a regular in church, you know, like Rahel says, we know what the community of the church feels like, but people don't. And there's this sort of banner over our city, we're secular. But I find as I meet people on a one-to-one basis, I find a very different story. I find people asking questions. I find people living under the sort of threat of earthquakes and wondering, you know, if we, we just sort of got to roll with the punches for the rest of our lives and do our best. And we have a message that is distinctive and is different. And people want to hear it. Want to hear it. And we want to find more ways. And I want to ask you today, you know, life skills, I, th- I think we're going to f- hear more about that. I think this might be a little tool that God is going to give us to walk through the doors of this city. But, you know, that might not be for you. I want you to, I want you to think right now, you know, what are the needs that I see? What are, the, what are the people around me? What are the opportunities that I have? Because maybe if you see the need, God is calling you or your life group or your friendship group to do something about it. There are far more things and far more activities and far more good deeds that need doing in this city. Things that point to God and are profitable for everything and maybe point to God in a way that our words alone cannot. There are far more things that need doing than I can oversee as like the head of outreach here. Far more things that need doing than my team can handle. So it's over to you. If you see a need, permission given, go and do something about it. And, and if you want us to maybe help form that into a sustainable ministry that we can sort of help you shape it and put wind under your sails and encourage you and provide mentoring, in, then we'd love to do that. But let's be a city that gathers every single week to be inspired and equipped and then scatters throughout the week to make a difference and to serve our city. And then let's come together on a Sunday to share stories and to celebrate and to be inspired and encouraged and picked up and put back together to go again and again and again. I don't see a car park out there. I see a marina of fishing vessels that gather every week to share stories of what God has done to go and fish again. To go and serve again. Like Nick said in July, we're not a cruise ship. We're not trying to put on loads of events to make you feel good and do your own personal life better. I believe that comes more and more and more as we serve where God is. In the city, wanting to, wanting to let people who have no idea about what the community of the church is and what relationship with God is, to encounter that in the way that we serve them. And I want to just close with this, that 
this is awesome and this is the way that we should go, but at some point it has to come back to the gospel. That maybe as we serve and we love and we build relationship, that there will be opportunities. And I want you to see through this series, we've talked about asking questions. We've talked about praying. We've talked about sharing stories. Now we're talk to, talking about good deeds and serving our city. All of these things are acted out among our city. But there will come a point when people say, why? What is the truth that you have? I want to know it for myself. And I want to just give you real quick four way, four little points that enable me and enable every single one of us to share the gospel in a really profound and incredible way. The first one, God loves me. You know, science itself points to a creator. And I want you to see that people are distinct in creation. We're not like animals. That devalues humanity. We're distinct, we're different, we're the pinnacle of God's creation. So it's inevitable that he will be proud of us and love us. Not just because, not because we're desirable or not because we agree with him all the time, but clearly we don't. But an undeniable, unstoppable, inexhaustible love. Not some soppy rom-com thing that, inv- that, that in, you know, definitely means me as a guy checks out. <laughs> but a sovereign choice that God has made to prefer our interests over his own at times. But as I look at the world, clearly the world doesn't look like it was created beautifully and wonderfully and God would be proud of it. And so that we come to the second point, I've sinned, that cross. Remember these pictures. Remember these symbols. Jenny walked through our house this morning, and it's a little bit messy at the moment, and because uh, nobody's coming around today, so we didn't tidy up. And she said, "I'm sick of the mess. I'm sick of it." But you know, she isn't sick of the house. It's not the house's fault. It's not the stuff's fault. The problem is a little closer to home, and as we look at the world, and. The fact that there's earthquake and there's famine and there's suffering and there's darkness and there's brokenness and there's evil and lies and all those things. As I look at those, I can blame all sorts of things, but I realize the problem is closer to home. That actually there's a desire to lie in me when I can get what I need. There's a desire to envy. There's a desire to boast. There's a desire to live my own way, live selfishly that nobody taught me. I was just really great at it from day one. And if God created it, inevitably there will be a way for the pinnacle of his creation to live. And when we chose to go our own way and do our own thing, it separated us from God, separated us from one another. Death entered the world and the Bible calls it sin. But we have a message of hope. And the hope is this third one. Jesus died for me. See, if you create something, if you make something that is just incredible, that you put time and effort and energy and love and blood, sweat and tears into, if it breaks, you'd want to fix it. You're cooking something and it goes wrong. You want to rescue it. You want to do something about it. And so when sin entered the world, when we lived our own way, God wanting, didn't want to just cut his losses and go, right, fine, go, be destroyed. He says, I want to do something about it. He didn't stand far off. He entered the brokenness. He entered the pain. He took it on himself in the form of his son. He said, because I so love you, because I so want to rescue you, because I so want you to achieve the purpose that I created you for, I'm going to do something about it. So he sent his one and only son to die on the cross, die the death that you and I deserve. But he didn't stay dead. Death couldn't hold him because he had no sin in him. And so he was raised to life, risen uh, into, into incredible, restored, resurrected, never to die again. 
life. And truth like this, if somebody has really overturned the very thing that stands against every single one of us, then that is not information I can just walk away from. I can't just go, that's vaguely interesting, I'm just going to carry on. Because if this is true, God has answered in Jesus the one thing that is inevitable for us all. You see, if Jesus was just a man and he died, then all of this is just pointless. We might as well just go and live and and enjoy everything and, and not worry about it. We we can do all we want to try and be better and be nicer people, but we still die. But if Jesus really is risen from the dead, then that means something for my life. And it means not only can I be forgiven, not only can all the bad stuff go, not only does God tidy up the house of my life, but He doesn't just give me a second chance. To now live in that tidy house knowing that I'll mess it up again. He says, I want to invite you into a new way of life. To live in the way that I created you to. And to the power and the leading of God to do that. And so it confronts us with the most profound question. I need to decide to live for God. And the most profound question is, do you believe in Jesus? Not just like uh, some thing that I can leave behind. But if you believe that you choose to say, okay God forgive me now lead me in your life and you can just talk through those four most important things with anyone and everyone who wants to know about the gospel the heart god loves me the x i've sinned the cross jesus died for me and the opportunity to make a decision to follow jesus i want to do that right now with you and say if you want to choose to follow jesus right now and respond i'm going to lead you in a real simple prayer that takes you through those four things And if that's you today, you can pray this for the first time and make that decision. Would you pray with me right now? Come on, church, let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Just for the sake of those who are praying this for the first time, and let's pray together right now. God, thank you that you love me. I acknowledge that today that I'm a part of the problem. I've lived for me, and I'm separate from you. Thank you that you so love me that you send your son to die for me. I believe that today. I receive the forgiveness and the life that you offer. But more than that, I want to know this best way to live. And so I pray that you would help me to live that life. Would you lead me in a new way to live in your way? Thank you for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that for the first time, I'd love to give you a free gift. It's called an I Said Yes Pack, and it's just like a free gift to help you know all about that prayer and what that means for new life. And if you want to talk to any of us or pray with any of us, we'll gladly do that. Right now, I think we want to respond in worship. Does that, does that seem right?